Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path, Christian. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us into the family through the, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, we've been made right with you, Father. Through the shed blood at Calvary, through his resurrection from the dead, and from the Holy Spirit that you sent to dwell inside of us, we have this new life. Thank you, God. Thank you. In a world, there, there, there's, there, sometimes it's hard to find something to be thankful for. Help us to be thankful that you're living in our hearts. And we love you, and we praise you, and we magnify you. And Father, just as we've worshiped you in song, now, Lord, let us continue to worship you as we sit and study your word. God, open our hearts, fillet our hearts open, and let us see truth this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. Amen. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 12. If you are visiting with us, uh, the first Sunday in January, we started a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. We are literally studying every verse because we want to we, we believe there's power in the Word, there's truth in the Word, and it's when we dive into the Word that, that, that the Holy Spirit uses that to grow us in our faith. I don't know whether you realize that or not, but if you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and as you study the Word of God in Sunday morning preaching and your weekly devotion, the Holy Spirit inside of you uses that study of the Scripture to grow you in your faith. So here we are, we're in Revelation chapter 12, and we're right in the middle of the great tribulation. Great, great tribulation. And those of you who don't know it, the, the Bible says that we're in the church age, right? church age right now. And at some point in the future, it could be tomorrow, it could be many years from now, no man knows the day or the hour, Christ will return, the earth will go into a seven-year great tribulation period. After that seven-year tribulation period, We'll, we'll be there in a couple months. We'll be talking about the millennial kingdom. But right here in the middle of the great tribulations where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 12. And the theme of this passage is Satan's war. Satan's war. Revelation chapter 12, make a note of this. This is one of the most in-depth chapters in all the Bible on Satan. But how, many how often do we study it? Very, very little. Very, very little. Satan is referred to 33 times in these 17 verses. 33 times Satan is referenced. 13 of the 17 verses of, of this chapter, yeah, 13 of the 17 verses of the 17 verses reference Satan. And we're going to specifically pay attention in our verse by verse study. There's five titles, there's five names given to Satan in this passage. And so I'm going to talk about those and teach on those. So really this morning is kind of like a, it's a biblical theology of Satan. You know, we, we all have pictures in our minds from the movies and from tradition of what Satan looks like. But the question is, what does the Bible say? Because <laughs> when it, come, it comes down to it, that's the, only, that's the only important question we need to ask. 
is what does God say in his word about Satan? So this morning, we are going to be studying the enemy of our soul. God the Father loves us, okay? He has adopted us into his kingdom through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is for us. He is for you, and he is not against you, okay? He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be your heavenly father who is there for you, but you do have an enemy, okay? There's an enemy in the spirit realm, and that's who we're studying this morning in our verse-by-verse study of Revelation chapter 12. So y'all ready to dive into it? All right, let's do it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, reading from the NASB translation, says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Verse 2, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. I want to go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says there was a great sign, and there was this woman And here in Revelation chapter 12, who is the woman? This is the first question people ask. The Catholic Church believes that this woman is Mary. And we know that because, you know, their exaltation of Mary. But you and I know that Mary's not to be exalted, that she was a common sinner saved by grace just like you and me. The very last recorded words of Mary in Scripture is at the wedding of the Cana of Galilee when she told the servants. And we need to listen to Mary, by the way, because listen to what Mary says to his servants. She tells the servants at the wedding of the king of Galilee, she says, whatever Jesus says, do it. (laughs) Do it. And that's the last recorded words of of Mary. But it's not not Mary. It's not Mary because we don't exalt Mary. She's not this angelic figure. Some people within the church believe that this is the church. The problem with that view is it says that this, this woman gives birth to a child, and we're going to see later on in the chapter that the child is Jesus. Well, friends and family, the church doesn't give birth to Jesus, okay? Jesus gives birth to the church. So how many of you guys were with us for our our study, our verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis a year before last? We studied it verse-by-verse. Do these names, uh, sun, moon, and stars, does that ring a bell? In Genesis chapter 37, I want to read it to you. And I believe this answers who this woman is because we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11, there it is. This is Joseph speaking. And it says, now he, uh, talking about Joseph, had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun, there's the sun, and the moon. And the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brother actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. If you're going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, the only other place in Scripture is here in Genesis 37 where this um, sun, moon, and stars is referred to. So according to Genesis chapter 37, the sun is Jacob, the moon is Rachel, Joseph's mom and dad, and the stars are his brother. And here we are in Revelation. uh, Well, first off, Genesis 37, Joseph's vision is a picture of Israel. Is a picture of Israel. So, scripture interpreting scripture tells us that this woman is Israel. 
Also keep in mind that God refers um, to Israel as a woman in Jeremiah chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 16, and Hosea chapter 2. So we believe that this, um, and as the text unfolds, I believe you're going to see that this is Israel. And it says in verse 2, it says, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, the child is Jesus, as we're going to see in the text. But notice what verse 2 says. It says, she cried out. She cried out, being in labor. This signifies Israel's history, the life of Israel. They have, they have been through a tumultuous existence from the very, very beginning. And even when Jesus came to this earth, Israel was under the tyranny of Rome, okay? They, they have been oppressed from Rome to Hitler to, to just throughout history, they have been an, an oppressed people. And so she cried out being in labor and she was to give birth to the son. In other words, when we say give birth, it was through the nation of Israel that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. So, the child is Jesus. The mother is Israel. The child is Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 3. Setting the stage here to talk about a theology of Satan. Verse 3 says, And then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, man, I think about a scary movie. I think about a nightmare. Who is this red dragon that's talked about in verse 3? Well, thankfully, when it comes to verse 3 and interpreting who the red dragon is, we don't have to put it all together. We don't have to go out to other scriptures. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 in your, in your verse. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down. Who is he? the serpent of old, who is called the devil. So that one's crystal clear that the red dragon here in verse 3, he is talking about Satan. Now, just a couple of thoughts, just a couple of Pastor David's thoughts on this verse uh, with a red dragon. Red is the color of destruction. Red is the color of death. And the uh, notice in verse 3, it says, he has seven heads with seven diadems. And what this is a picture of is this is a picture of the Antichrist uh, empowered by Satan during the Great Tribulation. This symbolizes his power and authority over the nations during the Great Tribulation. He will rule and reign the show. He's the one that will establish peace in Jerusalem. He's the one that will rule the nations. He is the one that will desecrate the temple halfway through the Great Tribulation. So he, this symbol, the seven heads and seven diadems uh, symbolizes his power and authority. And the ten horns, I'm not going to go there because we'll be there in a couple weeks. But the ten horns, if you, if you were to turn over to Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 17, you will understand that these ten horns represent ten nations that he will rule during the Great Tribulation. I'm not going to go into great detail this morning, really as, as far as I'm going to go, because we're going to study those three subjects when we get to Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17. So let's continue our thought process with the red dragon, Satan. Take a look at verse 4. 
Verse 4 says, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, there's a couple things here we want to pull out of here. First, it says, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven. Now, what you need to understand is, as John is writing the book of Revelation, not everything's in chronological order, okay? And sometimes he's, he, he's zoomed in to a specific situation, uh, the, a thing that's taking place, and sometimes he zooms out and he gives us more information about the grand scheme of things. And I think what he's doing here is he's giving us more information about the grand scheme of things. And this sweep, his tail sweeping away the third of the stars likely refers to the angels who fell with Satan in the beginning. You know, Lucifer, when he fell from heaven because of his pride, he fell to the earth. He brought demons with him. And this is likely what that is referencing here. And then also it says in verse 4, it says, the, notice it says here, this is so important when you put, piece all this together. Thank you, Paul. This says, the dragon stood before the woman that he might devour her child. The dragon, Satan, stands before the woman, Israel, that he might devour the child. And who is the child? The Lord Jesus Christ. One of the first things you need to understand about Satan is this. He hates Jesus. He can't stand Jesus. In Jesus' earthly ministry, Satan declared, the red dragon declared an all-out war against the Son of God because he hated Jesus. He knew, as John told us in one of his epistles, the purpose of the Son of God manifest was to destroy the works of the evil one. So Satan he hates Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Satan attempted to devour, kill Jesus through Herod's order for all the male children to and under in Bethlehem to be murdered. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan attempted to get Jesus to believe his word and turn the stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan took Jesus up to the Temple Mount and said, if you are truly the Son of God, throw yourself down. And Satan, uh, and Satan even quoted Scripture. He's, Satan said to him, quoting Scripture, he says, he will command his angels and they will save you. Jesus responded, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we think about the spiritual warfare that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane, the great drops of blood, the intense pressure. There was spiritual warfare taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan knew that his time was close at hand to be destroyed, and all hell's fury was coming against the Lord Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, when the Son of God is crucified on the tree, and he breathes his last breath and he's died, the, the bowels of hell celebrated and Satan celebrated. He thought he had won. But we know what happened early on that Sunday morning. Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, defeated Satan. He defeated Satan. But every, the whole, all of Jesus' ministry, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you in the text, he hates you too. But uh, all throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, Satan hated the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the dragon stood before the woman that he might devour the child. 
he wanted to destroy Satan. But we know that Satan's got a big old L on his forehead. He's a loser. And Jesus got a big W. He's the winner. Amen? Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The point of verse 5 is this. Jesus Christ is born. Jesus Christ is exalted. Jesus Christ reigns. And Satan's every attempt to thwart and kill Jesus fails. You can't kill God. But Satan didn't know that. But he, you cannot kill God. But he wanted to. Verse 6. Verse 6. He says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that it, she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Just real quickly, um, I'm going to pick verse 6 up. Verse 6 actually goes with verses 14 and 17. 14 through 17. I'm going to pick up this thought when we get back up to verse 14. But basically what he's saying there is, is the, the Antichrist is going to um, desecrate the temple, half, desecrate the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem halfway through the Great Tribulation. And in the second half of the Great Tribulation, these three and a half years, Satan's going to declare an all-out war against the nation of Israel. But you know what? Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. And he is going to protect and defend that Jewish um, 144,000 plus whoever they witnessed to. But we'll get, we'll, we'll, I'm going to come back to that thought. Hold that thought on verse 6 until we get to verse 14 because you'll see verse 6 actually goes with verses 14 through 17. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Here we are, still talking about the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. What does this tell us? What does this inform us about Satan, the dragon? Because he's still talking about the dragon, Satan. He's telling us this, that Satan, this dragon, is a warrior for darkness. Satan is a warrior for darkness in the spirit realm. He operates, he is the one that's behind all the evil in our world. He is the one that is behind all the terrible and sinister and evil things taking place. And not only being a warrior for darkness, but also, you know, when you think about the dragon, he's, he's a fallen angel. He fell from heaven also, along with the demons. He's in the heavenly realm. He operates in the heavenly realm, that spiritual realm that we can't see. All you and I can see is this physical world. We see our hands, our body, the earth, this building, our friends, our loved ones, our family. But there's a spiritual realm that, that we cannot see, this, this, this heavenly and that's where um, they operate. That's where Satan operates. You know, uh, he wages war against the body of Christ. He wants us to compromise and leave the faith. And, he, and, and also, he has a host of demons, legions of demons as his, at his dispatch. So I don't believe Satan is tempting everyone all around the world because he's just one individual, single being. He's not omnipresent, but he has demons. He has legions of demons that he can dispatch. You go here, you go there, you do this, you do that. That's how the evil darkness in our world operates. He's the dragon. That, that is the dragon. That's the, the first, the first uh, title this chapter gives to Satan is he's called the red dragon. And when we think red dragon, we think, whoa, because he's going to be unleashing hell on the earth. And he's going to be a warrior for darkness. Let's continue. Verse 8. 
Verse 8 says, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So the angels of darkness wrestle against the angels of light, and the angels of darkness, the demons, and Satan have a big boop L on their forehead, and they lose. Verse 9. Verse 9 and verse 10, we're going to spend quite a amount of time here because there's, there's four titles for Satan. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, see if you pick them up as we read through the text. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. In verses 9 and 10, uh, our first one was the red dragon he's called in scripture. Here he's given four titles. Did did y'all see four? You may have saw five. I'm I'm actually going to combine two of them and I'll tell you why in a minute. But the first title that uh, Satan is given in verse 9 is what? The serpent of old. Satan is called the serpent of old. When was he given this name? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, there in the garden. You know, all we know about Satan, I'm not going to go too much further than what I'm fixing to say, but all we know is, is he was a beast. He was a beast and he was serpent-like. And that's as far as I can go in his description, as far as the text gives us. You know, I will say this. In, in Hebrew, the word for serpent means shining one. Shining one. So evidently, there's something very attractive. There's something very attractive uh, about Satan's being and Satan's existence. I want to read to you from Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about this beauty of Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 13 says, uh, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, talking about Satan, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, the lazulu, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On that day, you were created. They were prepared. So he talks about he's being um, the seal of perfection. He's full of wisdom. There's, there's, there's this beauty. There's, des- there's described all these stones. But if you look at the end of verse 13, notice it says, your settings and sockets. I'm going to tell you um, what people do with this, this, this phrase, your settings in your sockets. And I agree with them. It says your settings in your sockets. If you have a King James Version, it says the tabrets and, and pipes. In other words, some scholars believe that there was some kind of embedded instrumentation in Satan. And this is where they get, some people believe that Satan was the choir director in heaven. He was the leader of the music. And that's, that's where they get this from. But evidently, he was, he was full of beauty. He had the seal of perfection, but he falls. But there's something about Satan. He was maybe in charge of music. 
in heaven. Maybe he was in charge of worship. And then we know what the rest of the scripture says about Satan. Why did he fall to earth? Pride. He said, I will exalt myself above the stars of the Lord. I will exalt myself above God. And because of his pride, he was cast down to earth. So he's called the serpent of old, this, this beast, serpent-like. Um, you know, nobody likes serpents. Nobody like, well, most people don't like serpents and snakes. <laughs> but uh, he's called the serpent of old. The second thing, he's, the third thing, the third title for him is also in verse 9. It's called the devil. The devil. What does that word devil mean? The, uh, the Greek word is diablos. And in verse 10, he mentions the accuser of the brethren, but actually accuser of the brethren in verse 10 goes well with devil in verse 10 because devil means the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. The devil, uh, what you need to know about him, man, I'm equipping you guys. You, you can, you're going to identify his attack here moving forward. You can be like, oh, I remember Pastor David talking about that from Scripture. But the devil, he's the accuser of their brethren. He is relentless in his accusations against Christians. He is relentless. He whispers in his accusations through himself, through demons. He whispers, you are not saved. Don't believe the Bible. It's not true. He whispers in our ear. He whispers into our mind. He whispers into our soul. Turn away from Jesus. See, you don't need to believe the Bible. None of that stuff's true. But he, he accuses us. He, he, he reminds us of our past. He reminds us of our failures. He reminds us of our sins. And the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you know what you need to do? What Carmen said back in the 90s. Remind him of his future. Remind him of his future and that you are covered under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, talking about Satan, he is the liar and the father of lies. The devil, because that's the name we're looking at, the devil, is uh, he brings shame, he brings confusion, and he brings condemnation. Jesus brings liberty, brings forgiveness of sin. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan brings death. Jesus brings life. Satan brings darkness. Jesus brings light. So we got um, the red dragon, the serpent of old, and the devil. Two more. Uh, verse, verse, verse 9. The, number 4 is uh, Satan, that, that name Satan. Uh, in the Hebrew, that word Satan, uh, they pronounce it Satan. It's, it's spelled the exact same way. But Satan, he's our adversary. He's our opponent. He's our enemy. He is the evil one. And what you need to understand when we talk about the title of Satan, for Satan, the evil one, is he opposes God. He opposes God and he opposes his word. Because you are loved by the Father. You ready for this? He hates you. Satan hates you because you've experienced the love of the Father. He hates you. He hates your life. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates everything about you. 
because you are loved by the Father. Because you've experienced the love of God. This evil one in the spirit realm, he hates you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That same word used in 1 Peter 5, 8, someone to devour, is the same word that's used to talk about when Satan, the red dragon, tries to devour Jesus. He wanted to devour Jesus because he hated Jesus, and he wants to devour you. His goal, his mission in life is to take you down, is to take you down. And Jesus wants to raise you up and, and, and cause us to be victorious. Satan came to destroy life. Jesus came to give life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I've come that they may have life. They may have Zoe life. They may have life and have it more abundantly. There's no place I would rather be than serving the Lord Jesus Christ and being a witness for him because I'm living in his light as I trust him and I obey him. I've stepped out of darkness. I've stepped out of the old life and I've stepped into the new life which is in Christ. And Satan, the adversary, opponent, enemy, the evil one, Number four on the screen, he hates that. Finally, finally, as this one's also in, um, found in verse 9, is he is the deceiver. He is the deceiver. Uh, verse 9 says, he deceives the whole world. He's the king of deception. So the fifth title that Revelation chapter 12 gives us of Satan is he is the deceiver. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Man, I'm telling you right now, if people's spiritual eyes were opened and they saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, man, they would fall on their face in love and adoration to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, they would be like blown away. It would be like better than winning a billion dollars. It's mind-blowingly amazing serving Christ and being a Christian, being forgiven, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being sealed by the Spirit, living for Him. There's no place I would rather be. And there's this joy and there's this excitement that death has no hold of me. Because I know one day I'm going to breathe my last breath, okay? But when they put me in my casket, and they have a funeral for me, if you're there, remember this. I'll say like Billy Graham said, I'll be more alive on that day than I am today because I'm going to see him for all eternity in heaven, and I'm going to enjoy his presence. That's, that is life. That's, but, but I, I went off there. He's the, Satan is the deceiver, okay? Jesus came to bring life. Satan's, uh, his game plan is deception. Deception. What are some of his tactics? You know, let's, you know anybody military-minded, you want to figure out what's going on behind enemy lines? How's the enemy uh, coming against you? What are Satan's, what are the deceiver, number five, what are the, the deceiver's tactics? Number one is false religion. False religion. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Okay? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. All other ways when it comes to knowing who God is are false. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but me. There's only, one that's been, there's only one that's been crucified. There's only one that died on the cross. There's only one that offers forgiveness of sin, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And, and religion uh, pulls people away from that. You know, God doesn't want nobody to be religious, by the way. Okay? God doesn't, God doesn't want your religion, okay? He doesn't want your tradition. He wants your heart. And he wants a personal relationship with him. That's what he wants from you. It's not tradition, not steeples and, and religious duties, but he wants a heart that's transformed, that loves him, and then a life that follows that heart in obedience. And, and religion does just the opposite. It just piles on top of you tradition and works, and, and that's just not the way it works. His second tactic is the philosophies of men, the philosophies of the world, the anti-biblical philosophies of this world. Paul said in Colossians 2.8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. When it comes to religion, when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to truth, we get it from the word. We get it from the word. And no philosophies of man. In other words, man's mind can't go but so high. And there's a lot of brilliant ideas out there. And there's a lot of brilliant, smart people I've learned from. And there's a lot of wealth of information that is true and that is good. But when it comes to eternal matters and when it comes to God, he is the only source of truth. And it comes from his word and not from the philosophies of man. And finally, uh, his third tactic is the ungodly culture around us. How many of you guys got a smartphone? That, that in today's world is, is, is becoming the enemy of our soul. Satan is using, the forces of darkness are using the cell phones to get to the heart and mind of believers, to get to the heart and mind of our children is brainwashing people. All the social media, all the information, all the, the false religion, the, the philosophies of it, the ungodly principles, it's like a highway straight to our minds. Family, guard your hearts and mind, okay? Guard your children, okay? The ungodly culture, that's their highway. That's their highway. When they're in their bedroom, closed behind their door, and they're sitting there surfing and surfing for hours and hours, you know what's happening? The world is just filling them up. Just filling them up with information. Filling them up with false religion, with philosophies of man, with ungodly cultures, with anti-biblical principles. And it all comes from the deceiver of this world. Verse 9 the one who deceives the world. Satan knows his time is short and he will do everything in his power to keep you from the truth. And if you, here, you ready for this? If you don't know and trust the truth, he is winning and you are losing. Don't let him win. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. That's it, family. This ain't rocket science. 
Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love his word. Live by his word. Understand that when you open your Bible, God is speaking. You want to hear the audible voice of God, Steve Lawson says? Read your Bible out loud. Let the word of God rule and reign in our hearts so that we are not deceived. Deception is it's, it's beyond right now. And all I can, all I can, the only thing I can say to you, encourage you is keep your nose in the word. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that will guard you against deception. His third attack. Let's continue. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, um, And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced their death. If you've been with us for the past couple weeks in our study of Revelation, we've seen that the 144,000 that the Gentiles saved during the Great Tribulation, man, this ain't going to be persecution like we are today. You know, getting the horn blowed at you or getting cussed out or or nothing like that. There's going to be a severe, intense persecution during the Great Tribulation. And these saints living in this time period, man, they... It's going to be an all-out war. But notice verse 11. Verse 11 tells us, it instructs us how they are going to win the battle, how they are going to overcome Satan's attack. Number one, it says, for they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? They're going to be trusting in Jesus for salvation. Understanding that the blood of Jesus washes away their sins. Their, their, Their faith is going to be firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what that phrase means, the blood of the lamb. Their their faith is going to be firmly in Christ. Second one, in verse 11, it says, and the word of their testimony. You know, they're going to understand a change has taken place in their hearts. They're going to understand that they've been saved. They are going to have a testimony to know that God has redeemed them and rescued them We should all have this. You know, this is how we overcome the world today. This is how you overcome this ungodly culture. As you find your identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You find your identity in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in his blood. Trusting in the cross. The word of the testimony. That means at some point in your life, whether it be young or old or recently, at some point in your life, you've said, Lord Jesus, I repent and put my trust in you. Please come into my life. Please change my heart. There's got to be a season. For some of us, I know some people have an aha moment. And they just get radically saved and praise the Lord. I know Christians that have this. Some of us, it's a season. Some of us, a season in our life where we, we slowly come to faith in Christ and we slowly understand it. But there needs to be a season, a period of time in your existence where you came to the to the Lord. And then the thirdly, looking at verse 11, it says, they did not love their life even when faced with death. You know, these guys during the great tribulation, all hells broke loose and they see the world going to hell in a handbasket and they're smart. It says they do not love their life even faced with death. You know, they're, they're, they're going to um, be in it to win it. Their eyes, now how can you do this? The only way you can do this, the only way you can um, not love your life, even when faced to death, is this. You have to have an eternal perspective. 
you got to have an eternal perspective in life. And they had their eyes on eternity. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm 51 years old, and praise the Lord, I want to be 100. And I want my great-grandkids sitting on my lap as I'm an old man. And I, I want to live a nice, long life. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not promised tomorrow. So I have to live every day with an eternal perspective. I have to understand that as, uh, I, I'm one heartbeat away from eternity. I'm one heartbeat. You're one heartbeat away from eternity. And we need to live with that. Now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We, we need to plan in life. We need to work hard. We need to go to school. We need to get a job. We need to plan for the future. You need to make all the plans that you would normally make in life and plan on living your life. But still, at the same time, live with an eternal perspective. And this is how, and again, this is how we overcome. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and living with an eternal perspective. Verse 12 says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. Having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Again, uh, Satan's time is short. His attack will be intense during the great tribulation against the nation of Israel. And throughout time, if there was a demographic of people that, that Satan wanted to, that Satan not wants to, that Satan does attack, would be the nation of Israel. If you want to understand, if you want to look at the news, if you want to watch the news and look at it through a biblical framework, look at it through a scripture, the best advice I can give you is this. Keep your eyes on Israel. Everything centers around the nation of Israel because the scripture teaches that they or the apple of his eye. Now he attacks Israel as he did through Hitler and he's done through centuries of onslaughts and attacks. He also attacks the church. He also attacks, he tries to come against the church. He also, he also tries to keep the ungodly world suppressed, keep them away from Christianity, to keep them away from Jesus, to remind them, oh, that's just their religion. That's just their way of thinking. He tries to keep people away from the truth of the gospel. But during the great tribulation, his attack against Israel will be intense. Let's read verses 14 through 17. And I'll give you my thoughts. He says, verse 14, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. I'm gonna come back to that a lot. So that he could fly into the wilderness to her place when she was nourished for a times and times and half a times from the presence of the serpent. That times, times and half times is talking about the second half of the Great Tribulation. That's a, uh, in Hebrew language, that's three and a half years. Verse 15, then the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Verse 17, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Again, the great tribulation, according to the book of Revelation, is a seven-year period. Three and a half years, uh, then the second half, three and a half years. In the second half, Satan will uh, have an all-out assault 
on the nation of Israel. And it will take place during the second half of the Great Tribulation. At the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist will desecrate a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And then, during the first half of the tribulation, the Jews will be his friends. They will look at him like, he's the savior of the world. He's come to help us build our temple. He's come to bring peace. But at the halfway point, he desecrates this temple. The Antichrist will turn on the nation of Israel. He will turn on the Jews. We're going to see this more in Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 17. But God, in his faithfulness, when this onslaught takes place, God will lead uh, Jerusalem, the saints, the Jews there, to a safe place in the wilderness. He will be faithful to guard them and protect them. You know, God is not done with the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 testify to that truth. They've just been put on the shelf during the church age. But during the Great Tribulation, he will turn his attention. Now, what's being talked about here in verses 14 through 17, I believe Jesus referred to this in the gospel. In Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, I believe he's talking about this very thing. Matthew 24, 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and notice he says it's in black, let the reader understand. In other words, when Matthew was writing this gospel, it was not going to happen in his lifetime. It was going to happen in the future when the words of this book, after they had been written. Let the reader understand, verse 16. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be, here it is, a great tribulation. People talk about um, during the second half of the tribulation period that Satan's wrath will be poured out. It'll be intense. And Jesus says there'll be a great tribulation, verse 20. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. But in the midst of this great tribulation period, as they're fleeing, God will keep his people, Israel, safe during the tribulation period. He will guard them. He will protect them. He will seal them. He will protect them from the attack of Satan. How does he do that? How does how will, how will he guard Israel? Does it give us any details here? I believe it does. How does, he, how, does, how does he guard Israel? The same way he keeps you and I protected from the enemy. Look at, back at verse 14. Look back at verse 14, please. It says, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. That is a beautiful statement. The two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. Wings in the Bible symbolize God's strength, God's power, and God's protection from the enemy. I want to show that to you in closing. And I want you to think about the nation of Israel in the second half of the great tribulation period, 
how God will protect them. He'll cover them. But also, I believe he does the same for you and I. He is the guardian and the protector of our soul. So as we look at this, as I read, I'm fixing to read to you a bunch of Bible verses. Think about the nation of Israel being protected during the second half, but also think about his protection and his provision for our life today. And what we're looking at is the wings of the great eagle. We're looking at the wings. I, I didn't even, I, 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 I'd, I'd narrowed this down to eight verses, but there's a whole lot more verses that, that, that talk about God's wings being under the shadow of his wings. So this is how he protects Israel, and this is how he protects you from this ungodly world. And this is how he protects you from Satan's attack. Be blessed and, and let this soak in and relax. Let this soak in as I read these verses. And as I read each one, listen for shadow and listen for wings. Psalm 17, verse 8. The psalmist says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Family, we live in the shadow of the cross. Meaning that's our refuge. We live in the shadow of the Lord God Almighty by trusting in the cross and putting our faith in him. We, we live in that shadow. We let him be our defender. We let him be our protector. Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men, here it is, take refuge in the shadow of your wings. We walk in his loving kindness. We live in his loving kindness. We trust in his loving kindness. And we take refuge in the shadow of his wings. Now, don't, don't go in your head and imagine God like some big bird. But just know that this is symbolic uh, picture of God's sovereignty and protection. But you're under his wings. You're under his wings. You're under his protection. In the shadow of the wings, Psalm 57, verse 1, says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will, I, I, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the destruction passes. When all hell is breaking loose and the world is chaos and things are just going south, you know, in the midst of destruction, we take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. We take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, in the shadow of his wing. Psalm 61, verse 4 says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Are you seeing it, family? It's all throughout Scripture. In the shadow of his wings, we take shelter. Our refuge is the Lord. He is a mighty tower that, that, we, that we stand under, that we trust in, that we love. Um, okay, next Psalm 63, verse 7. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. So here again, we're in the shadow of God's wings and his loving care and his awesome care. And what does it say there? I, I, I sing for joy. We let the joy of the Lord be our strength. 
even in difficult times. Even in a world today that is going opposite of God, that's going in an ungodly direction, that still does not affect our joy and our personal relationship with Christ. The joy of the Lord can and will be your strength. Two more. Psalm 91 verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek, there it is again, refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And finally, in closing, many of you know this Bible verse. It's one of my favorite. It was on my grandma's wall growing up. I'll never forget it. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Isaiah 40, 31 says that we will run and we will walk. In other words, we will progressively pursue our relationship with the Lord in this life. This is how you guard your heart and you guard your life and you guard your family from Satan's war against this world by trusting in Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I obey you. I want to live my life to you in complete surrender. That's how we defend ourselves against his attack. Man, if you get away from the Lord, if you get away from the word, man, you're opening yourself up. You're opening yourself up. Stay in Christ. Stay in the word. Stay in fellowship to guard your heart and mind from the attacks of Satan. He's a real spiritual being operating in the heavenly realms. And we don't fear him. We don't run around. We're not scared of him because we didn't saw it. He's got a big L on his forehead. And Jesus has got a big W because he's the winner. And that's how we live our lives. But we do, you do need to be aware of his tactics and, and, his, and the way he comes against this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's worship service. Father, thank you for the study of Revelation chapter 12. Father, we have heard from you as we've studied your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take this study and work on our hearts. I pray that um, Christians will be encouraged, challenged, and warned. And Father, that we'll be built up in our faith to go out and live for you and shine the light of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world and tell people and warn people that there is a real Satan that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Lord Jesus, you've came to bring us life. And we thank you for that truth. Seal these truths in our heart today. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.